Well, our scripture reading today will be taken from Deuteronomy 32. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. Deuteronomy chapter 32, we'll be looking at the first 27 verses of this, which is the national anthem for Israel that God wanted Moses to write. He wrote it. Here are the lyrics to it. We'll start in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 32. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain... My speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. They've acted corruptly toward him. They're not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father, and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... When he separated the sons of men, he set the boundaries of the peoples, according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of a wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, he guarded him as the pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign god with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, and he ate the produce of the field, and he made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds of cows and milk of flock with fat of lambs and rams, the breed of Bishan, the goats with the finest of the wheat, and the blood of grapes you drank wine." But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him, and he scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they had not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. They've made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol and consumes the earth with its yield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap misfortunes on them. I will use my arrows on them. They will be wasted by famine and consumed by plague and bitter destruction, and the earth of beast I will send upon them with the venom of crawling things of the dust. Outside the sword will bereave, and inside terror both young man and virgin, the nursling with the man of gray hair. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces, I will remove the memory of them from men. 
Had I not feared the provocation by the enemy that their adversaries would misjudge, that they would say, our hand is triumphant and the Lord has not done all this. Now there's an introduction to some national anthem right there. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of that inspired text and the exposition later. Will you join with me please in prayer? Our Father, we bow before thee today to thank you that you are the great, glorious, and sovereign God. We thank you for the blessings and the good things in life you've given to us, especially those of us who've had the privilege of living in this nation. I pray, Lord, that we would be people who would always seek to keep you first in everything. We can't do much for what other people are doing, but we certainly can govern ourselves, and I pray we would keep you first in everything. I pray we would always reverence you. I pray we would always reverence your word, take it seriously. I pray we would study the whole counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation. I pray we would systematically analyze all that you've revealed, every word, verse, paragraph, chapter, and book. And I pray also, Lord, that as we're doing that, you would continue the process of transformation. Transform the way we think. Transform the way we live. We are grateful that you reveal yourself to be a sovereign God who can do all things at all times. And we know, Lord, that you are a comforting God, and we would pray that you would comfort people who are going through some dark times right now. We especially think of three at our own church who have lost loved ones, Kay Kavner and the death of her sister, and Jim Lenfield, the death of his brother, Harold Alfenar, the death of his sister. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue to shower them with your comforting grace. Lord, we know death is tracking all of us, so I pray that we would invest our time wisely by learning and growing and glorifying Thee. And on this 4th of July weekend, Lord, we cannot help but bow and pray for this nation. We have wandered far from what this text teaches right here. We've wandered far from your word, far, far from your righteousness, and our great fear, Lord, is that you won't bless America anymore. You won't stand beside us. You won't guide us. You won't give us light from above. Lord, we would ask that in your sovereign greatness and grace that you would consider your people who live in this country, who do love you, who do reverence you, who do reverence your word. And I pray that you would keep that in mind and in doing that, turn the minds of the leaders of this nation or put into office leaders who will lead this nation in a way that will make decisions that will benefit thy people. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. One of the most famous actresses who actually was known for not being pretty or beautiful, she wasn't known to be dynamic, she was bland and homely, but she could act. In fact, she liked strange parts she actually liked parts where she played killers and manipulators and liars and deceivers. She's only one of two actresses to actually earn five straight Academy Award nominations was Betty Davis. Betty Davis, who acted from the 1930s to the 1980s. Her most famous line was this, old age is no place for sissies. <laughs> Moses was 120 when he wrote this. He was nearing his death, and God wanted him to write an anthem for the nation. 
He wanted the nation to see it. He wanted the nation to study it. He wanted this nation to memorize it. It's not the kind of national anthem that any would write. No writer in his right mind would write this kind of national anthem on his own. But Moses had a job to do, and he was no sissy. He was a strong man of God, and he wrote it. Now, we like patriotic songs that rev us up. I mean, we did enjoy singing those songs, at least I did. I mean, the one we just sang, My eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. Well, here's the question. If your eyes have actually seen the coming of the glory of the Lord, why doesn't it affect your life? I mean, if your eyes have actually seen the coming of the glory of the Lord, why are we a nation that sometimes just lives like a bunch of pigs? If your eyes have actually seen that, wouldn't you think you might want to develop a faith and lifestyle that would reflect that glory? Just last weekend over by Lake Michigan, they had one of those L-G-M-N-O-P-Q-G-T gatherings. I, spelling was never, I was never good at it. And at that gathering, uh, some were asked, well, what do you think about the Supreme Court decision in Roe versus Wade? And their response was, well, it scares us because we don't know how it could impact us. I think, don't you have a little bigger problem than that? Don't you think your Sodom and Gomorrah lifestyle that Romans 1 calls an unnatural abomination that's heading you to the wrath of God should be a more concern for you than that? See, most people are living in some emotional, delusional la-la land. Israel was. Israel was there. And God told Moses, you write a national anthem for Israel that tells the truth. They need to see it. They need to read it. They need to remember it. They need to sing it. They need to study it. They need to be warned by it. Now, when we went through the book of Exodus, when Israel crossed the Red Sea, and you can read this in Exodus 15, they sang a song. Man, it was an upbeat song. They just crossed the Red Sea, and Moses had them sing a song there in Exodus 15. It's not like this one. Not like this one. I mean, from the time he led them across that Red Sea, and they start heading to this promised land, they were a mess. So God had Moses write an eternal anthem because his people needed to see and know the truth about God and the truth about their own pathetic selves. In verses 1 and 2, Moses prays to God and he says, God, I'm asking you, you control heaven, you control earth, and I'm asking you to allow my teaching, because he knows what he's about to write, I'm asking you to allow my teaching to make an impact on people, and I want it to drop as rain. I want it to refresh people. I want to open up the truth of the word of God, and it does have the power to refresh people. It can refresh like water. You know, this past week, I had a chance to talk to a guy who works for Sanderson and DeHaan. Now, that's the people that do the lawn sprinklers. I had an interesting chance to talk with them. And I asked him, I said, what do you do on these real wretched hot days? I mean, you're out there and it's 100 degrees and the humidity here, you can't hardly breathe. What do you do on those hot days? He goes, I fire up a sprinkler and stand in it. <laughs> I said, do you actually just allow the sprinkler to refresh you? He goes, absolutely, that's what I do. I just turn on the sprinklers and stand in them and let them refresh me. That's what the Word of God is supposed to do. 
The Word of God is supposed to be a sprinkling system that refreshes the people of God. It's a hot, dirty, cruddy world. And the Word of God is to come to us, and it is to be one that refreshes us. And Moses said, that's what I want my teaching to do. I want my teaching to refresh the people of God. But he brings up six anthem themes that probably initially aren't going to do that for the most part. The first anthem theme is he begins by telling the truth about God there in verses 3 to 4. He just starts off, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Look, no matter what's happening anywhere in the world, you can always know this, God is still God. He's still God. Moses begins with doctrine. As he launches into this anthem song, he begins with doctrine. Theology proper, doctrine is critical. Critical to the way we live. Sound doctrine produces sound lives. Sound doctrine produces sound minds. Moses knew it, and he starts off this anthem by presenting true doctrine about God. Now, why does he start there? Well, one reason is, is because God's people are supposed to defend true doctrine about God. And they don't. Israel didn't. And there are nine glorious truths that he begins with in this anthem about God. First of all, he said, I proclaim the name of the Lord. I proclaim the name of the Lord. And you know that Moses in his writings developed three proper noun names for the Lord. He developed Jehovah, which is the covenant God of Israel. He developed Adonai, which is the sovereign controller of all things. And then he called him Elohim, the sovereign creator of all things. El Elyon, he is the mighty God. I mean, he develops the name and Moses says, I want my people, I want God's people to begin with a proper grasp of the sovereignty of God and a proper name of God, which is what I've taught. No matter who you are, no matter what you are, no matter where you are, no matter why you are where you are, God's name stands forever. I want you to realize that the important thing is not my name and it's not your name, it's God's name. Secondly, he challenges people to ascribe greatness to God. Verse 3, for I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Boy, we've missed that. We'll ascribe greatness to anybody but God. In fact, most people curse God. Yeah, we'll ascribe greatness to somebody like a military strategist who has victory. Alexander the Great. The Great Abraham Lincoln. The great actor Jimmy Stewart. And now we get down to baseball players. The great Miguel Cabrera. Or Hank Aaron. Yeah, we're quick to ascribe greatness to athletes and actors and God mockers and politicians. But I'll tell you what, we're pretty slow to ascribe greatness to God. Moses says to the people of God, your job is to ascribe the greatness to God. Not to yourself. You ascribe greatness to God. He's the one who's great. He's the one who is to be worshipped. He's the one who is to be praised. Ascribe him the greatness. 
Thirdly, Moses taught them that God's the rock. In verse 4, the rock. The fact that God's the rock is alluded to seven times in this anthem song. So apparently Moses really wants to drive this point home. God's the one upon whom you can build a lasting foundation that will last. God is the source of strength. God is the refuge in times of trouble. He's the shelter. He's the security. He's the rock. No other being can say that. Later in this chapter, Moses shows it's foolish to trust in anything else except God for being the rock. We live in Michigan where they claim Chevy trucks are a rock. Like a rock. In other words, yeah, Chevy truck, you can depend on it, it's hardworking and it'll always be there. And they use their theme song, the song written by Bob Seger, you know, like a rock. That's the theme song. And what's really almost humorous about that theme song he wrote is when Seeger wrote the song, it was because of a relationship that only lasted 11 years. So that rock really didn't last. God is the rock. He is the rock upon whom you can rest forever. And Moses said, you sing about that. He's the unshakable, incurable, immutable, protective rock. The fourth truth is his work is perfect. Tamim. His worth is complete, cover to cover, never a flaw in the work of God. Not any imperfection ever will be found in anything that God makes, designs, or does. And our job's to testify of that. Our job's to ascribe greatness to God and tell him that his work is perfect. You don't allow someone to get away with saying something that God made was something that just evolved or something that just happened by some bang. Ascribe the greatness to God. The fifth truth is God's ways are just. All things God does are just. Moses wanted people to realize that. Because, you see, you come up against people who, they want to question God and criticize God, and why would God do this? And we need to be people who sing the truth of God. His ways are just. It's man that's messed this up. The fact of the matter is, God's people with godly character will become just people, and they want justice. God's ways are just. We may not know what he's doing. Who cares if I know what he's doing? Here's what I do know about him. He's always a just God. He doesn't have to explain himself to me or you. Sixthly, Moses' anthem taught that God is a faithful God, faithful in everything. Not like people. People have their moments where they're faithful. They're not always faithful. Not God. God's always faithful. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his word. He's dependable. God's people can always count on him. They can know this about God. He's never fickle. He's never unstable. He always keeps his word. He is faithful. The seventh truth that Moses developed about God, he'll never do anything unjust. He'll never do anything unjust. God has never, ever done anything unjust, ever. People need to get this point. Think about this. He told Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of that fruit, you'll die. He could have killed them the moment they ate the fruit. 
That would have been perfect justice. But in grace, he let him live. He's never ever since the beginning done anything unjust, whether it's positive or negative, whether we can explain it or not explain it. This is truth that is true about God. He has not ever done anything unjust. Now, we live in a world that, I mean, we do all kinds of unjust, crazy things. We're so stupid. We can't even figure out that a boy shouldn't compete in girl sports. How just is that? I just can't even believe the brain deadness of people. Here are girls that are competing in sports and they let some guy in there and nobody seems to understand justice here and saying, this is wrong. It's not right. It's not going to happen. But that's the world we live in. It's not God. God's not the problem. He never does anything unjust. The eighth truth is Moses' anthem taught that God is righteous. He's always righteous in his character. This is part of it. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God at a majestic level of righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed in the scriptures. He's perfect. Everything about him is righteous. The ninth truth is it's God who's upright. Nothing crooked in God ever. His character is that for which we should ascribe greatness to him. We should strive for uprightness and righteousness and what is just. But these are the things that actually make up God. And you would think God's people would logically praise God and worship God and defend God and want to please God for that. But that's not what happened to Israel. So Moses said, now my second theme to develop in this anthem song is what happened to God's own people, verse 5. And don't forget, God said initially when he wanted Moses to write this in chapter 31, verse 19, write this against the people, against my people. So this is an anthem song written against the people. So after Moses starts with revealing these glorious truths about God, he says, now I want you to know what really happened here, so let me reveal the negative truths about you. The sovereignty of God has done so much for you, but you don't even care about him. And there are four truths negative brought out about his own people. Number one, they acted corruptly toward him. Verse 5 says they've acted corruptly toward him. Shakath. Interesting Hebrew word. They acted in destructive, rotten ways that ruin you. God's people didn't even act like they were the people of God. He had done all of these wonderful things for them, and he has all of these wonderful attributes, and then you look at the people of God and you go, well, they don't look like that. Secondly, they're defective people. They don't act like God's people. That's what he says there in verse 5. They are not his children because of their defect. They don't even act like their children. They don't even act like a true child. And thirdly, he says they're perverse and crooked there in verse 5, but are a perverse and crooked generation. They have no integrity. These are God's people. They have no scruples. They have no morals. Moses saw that firsthand as he's wandering through the wilderness, leading these people. He saw how quickly they can depart from the wonderful, glorious truths of the Lord. 
And this is strong language here, which Moses is using, and he's saying God's people did perverse and crooked things. I mean, their relationship was not straight and upright. I mean, they went to worship services all right, but they were crooked in their lives. As Eugene Merrill said in his commentary, this was a grotesque mockery of what God created them to be. Now Moses is writing this at all 1400 B.C. 1400 years later, here comes Jesus Christ to the same group of people, the nation Israel. And in Matthew 17, when he addresses the nation Israel, he said, you are an unbelieving, perverse generation. You are a crooked generation, he says it 1,400 years later. So nothing has changed. These are people who are claiming they're the people of God. They're crooked and perverse. And then, fourthly, God's people are foolish and unwise in their repayment of God. And Do you thus repay the Lord? I mean, the word foolish, Nabal, you people lack sense. You lack sanity. Is this how you repay God? Is this how you repay your father who's done such wonderful things for you? I mean, is that the respect you have for him? Is that what you do to him? Which brings us to the third anthem theme. Moses said, you need to remember some things. He says in verse 7, remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. Moses said, it's critical for God's people to remember the past. So he says, remember those days of old. Remember the years of the previous generations. Ask your father about it, about God and life. Ask your elders about God and life. But here's the problem. There's an old saying that says, those who don't study history are destined to repeat it. I'd like to add to that. But those who do study history will either repeat it themselves or they'll helplessly sit by and watch others repeat it and do nothing about it. And basically, that's what's happened in the history of Israel. It's important for the younger generation to learn things of God from the older generation who experienced those truths. But most won't do that. Most won't do that. And most won't stand for the principles that they are telling them, even if they tell them. You know, back when I was in school, and I think this is an appropriate illustration for a 4th of July weekend. Back when I was in school, and I remember this distinctly, there was a teacher, a teacher in our school, in the elementary school, who was suspected of being a communist. And they came and they took him out of school, out of class. They were not about to allow that person to indoctrinate Children with a false system of political thinking. They got him out. Man, if you're a communist thinker today, you can get elected to an office in a nation. You can end up in Congress. I mean, that's where we're at. Because people have just forgotten truth. But Moses said, you need to remember ten realities. Reality number one, I want you to remember how the Most High God gave the nations their inheritance. He said, you need to understand this. God was the one who decided that nations would have certain spots in the world. Reality number two, remember he separated the nations and gave boundaries to the people. 
When you look at a map of the world today and you see all of those nations, you tend to think, well, that was founded by this group and that group and founded by this ethnic group. This was founded by God. He established it. And we may remember the reason why he did establish the nations, Moses wrote that in Genesis 11, is because when all the people were speaking one language and all the people were just all together and living together, they became idolatrous. They wanted to make up their own God. And so God said, you know what, I can't live with people that are going their own direction, so I'm just going to spread them out. I'm going to assign different geographical locations in the world where they're going to live. I'm going to give them different languages, and they're going to move to those areas. They're going to function as their own unit. And Moses said, I want Israel to remember God did that. God did that. But then he says, also remember, he numbered you. He numbered the sons of Israel. He gave each of you a land allotment, each of you an inheritance. Now, it's interesting because if you look at the nations of the world right now, and you look at it on a map, it looks like the other nations have way more land than Israel does. You say, well, what kind of assignment is that? Way more land. I mean, here's this little sliver of land, and here's the nation Israel living in this little sliver of land. Then you look at the United States and Australia, and you look at Russia, and you look at Canada, and you look at all these other places. You go, man, they have a lot more territory. Well, it's because of the fact that Israel has lost her relationship with the Lord. He did not give her the totality of the land, and he still hasn't given her the totality of that land. Fourthly, remember how God found you in a desert wilderness. He found you when you were wandering around the wilderness and it was a desert life. You were wasting away. You weren't experiencing his blessings. Fifthly, he encircled you. He cared for you. He guarded you. You became the pupil of his own eye. You became the apple of his eye. He took that nation, selected that nation of all the nations of the world, and he made these people the most important people in the world. Sixthly, remember how he hovered over you and carried you like an eagle. He watched over you from heaven, monitoring you, sheltering you, protecting you, providing for you, watching over you. Remember how he alone guided you. You were guided like no other nation in the world. There's no other nation in the world that's ever been guided by God like that. He would show up in a visible display of his glory and actually tell the nation when to move, where to move. They would follow him. He said, you didn't need some foreign God. You didn't need some foreign religion. Not when you were being led by almighty God. God said, I was your guide. I took you where you needed to go. All you had to do was follow me and follow my word and you would have safety and you would have success. Ninthly, he said, remember, I'm the one that led you to the land. You're about to cross into this land right now. I'm the one that's taken you there. Ninthly, I miraculously provided food for you when you needed it. I provided water for you when you needed it. I mean, we're talking a wilderness survival, and I'm God, and I'm providing for you miraculously and seeing that you had enough. And then he says the tenth reality is I prospered you. I gave you food and drink. I gave you produce and animals and herds and flocks. And he also alludes to the fact you're going into this land, you're going to get cities, and you're going to get vineyards, and you're going to get houses and all kinds of things. I mean, the greatness of God did that all. And you would think that that greatness of God would have caused those people to love God. 
And you would think that greatness of God would have caused them to love his word and turn away from evil and turn away from things that anger him. He said, if you think I'm making this up, just ask the older people who saw it. Talk to the elders. Talk to your own relatives. They'll tell you what I'm telling you is the truth. And by the way, this does put some responsibility on those of us that are aging and getting older in years. We do have a responsibility to pass on truth about God to the younger crowd. It's certainly the job of the church to pass on truth about God to the younger crowd, and it's the job of all of us that are aging to pass it on to our children and grandchildren to tell them the truth. But then Moses said, the problem is, verses 15 to 18, this is what God's people did. They had the name Jeshurun, which literally means upright, but they didn't become that. They didn't become upright people. They should have. But their name didn't end up fitting them. They were given a good name, upright, Jeshurun. But they left God out, and as a result of that, they've lost that name and title. They're not upright anymore. And all of this happened because of the blessings and the prosperity that God gave to the people, his own people. Before we go through the facts of this, I want to talk about prosperity in your life and in mine. If God is not first in your prosperity, it is dangerous. If God is not first in what he gives you, it's not good. It will come to no good. You see, prosperity that is not dedicated to the Lord will end up in idolatry. And if you want to see a living color example of that, look at Israel. He took them into the land. He gave them all of these glorious things. Now look at the seven ways he describes them there in verses 15 to 18. They became fat and undisciplined. They forsook God. They were strong and prosperous. They thought, we don't need to keep our focus on the Lord. They forsook God. They scorned God. They actually scoffed at God. They, according to verse 16, made God jealous and angry by their abominations. Now, I want to talk about the jealousy of God for a minute because the jealousy of God is not like the insane jealousy that people have. People get jealous of something or someone because of their insecurity and their pride. That's not God. God's not jealous of these people because he thinks they have more than him or they're better than him. He's the best there is. He's the greatest there is. He's jealous out of righteous indignation. These were his people. He did so many great things for them, and then what they did is they turned against him and forsook him and scorned him and got involved in abominable kinds of things. It triggered God's anger against them, and you don't want to do that. 
You don't want to trigger God's anger ever against you because the anger of God will be just and justified. And when he reaches a point of anger where he does something about it, it's too late. And not only that, but fifthly, they got involved in demonic religion. That's what he says in verse 17. He said, you were sacrificing to demons. Look, I want to be as clear as I can on this because people need to understand this. False religion not dedicated to the whole word of God is demonic stuff. It's demonic. There are people that think it's a cute idea to go out and just visit churches and visit all kinds of religions. I mean, fill your mind, open up your mind, let your mind explore all kinds of religions. If it's not true to the word of God, it's demonic stuff. And what should anger God's people is false worship that doesn't reverence God. What should really make you mad, what should anger you, is when you see people who are going through rituals and worship services not dedicated to really understanding the scriptures. They're dedicated to religion, not God. That's what should anger you, because it's demonic. Then, sixthly, they neglected God. They neglected the word of God. They neglected prayer. And then finally, there in verse 18, God says, they forgot me. That's what the thanks I got for prospering them. They forgot me. So Moses said, I'll tell you what God's going to do to his own people. Ten negative actions God will take against his own people. Number one, he will spurn them. Verse 19 says, the Lord saw this and spurned them. The word spurn, neats in Hebrew, means he'll despise them. He will hold them into contempt. You know, there's a saying that I just don't agree with theologically. It's a saying that people say all the time, and they say it with such a smile on their face, and that is, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And I look at this text and I go, you know... The object of the hatred here and the object of the despising here is not the sin. The object of the hatred here, the object of the animosity is the people doing it. God said, I despise these people. He says, secondly, I will hide my face from my people. I won't listen to them when they pray. I'll not bless them. I will prevent them from seeing me. I will prevent them from understanding my word. I will prevent them from knowing me. I will prevent them from fellowshipping with me. I will not allow them to see me do anything. I'll hide myself from them. Thirdly, I'll make my people jealous and angry. That's what he says in verse 21. Now, this is important. We have been brought, grafted in to the program of God and Paul develops this theme in Romans. We've been grafted in to the program of God in part to make Israel jealous. In other words, according to verse 21, God has allowed people that are not his people, not his nation. He's allowed Gentile people to have a relationship with him even though they're not Jewish He's allowed people like us to experience his blessings. And one of the reasons for that is to show Israel, you're missing out on a great relationship with God. We've been saved to make Israel jealous. And 
God says what should happen here when people who are Jewish look at believers is they should look at those believers and go, you know, I'm a little upset there that they've got a relationship with a God that we don't have. And he's our God. Problem is, when most Jewish people look at most who are believers, they don't see anything worth having. But that's the way it's supposed to work. The fourth action is God's fiery anger will consume his people. God says in verse 22, I'll kill people. Sheol, that's what he's talking about there. I'll actually kill people. I'll allow my people to die without ever having a right relationship with me. Yeah, it's possible. You could be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you could live your life out of fellowship with God and die without having experienced any of the great blessings of God he would have given you if you'd have got serious about him and his word. Or you can be an unbeliever, in which case you can live out your days on this earth and you'll die and you'll go to a place and you'll burn with fire and you'll burn there forever because God's fiery anger will consume people. The fifth action is the Lord will heap misfortune on his people. God can and will heap disasters on his people. The sixth action is God will shoot his arrows at his people. His arrows include an arsenal of things, arrows of anger, arrows of chastisement. The seventh action is I'll consume my people by famine and plague. I'll allow my people to experience lean things and they'll never get out of it. I'll hit them with negatives, plagues, sicknesses, diseases, and they'll never find a cure. The eighth action is I will allow predator animals to attack my people. I will allow ninthly venomous creatures to attack my people, and I will destroy all people of all ages with war and terror. And a lot of that we're seeing he's going to do in the Great Tribulation as a prelude to when he comes back, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back a second time to deliver the nation Israel. And I tell you this, if God would do this to Old Testament Israel, he will do this to the United States of America. Both the Old and the New Testament teach the principle, fear God. Fear God. But then he wraps up this section by saying, one other thing in the song you need to hear, God would have completely destroyed you. Except the enemies would think that they did it. So God didn't allow it to happen. God said, you have come to the point where you deserve to be blotted out of this game. You deserve to be blotted out of a relationship with me. You so demean me. He said, I want you to understand something. The only reason I preserved you is because of my name. I don't want nations bragging about the fact that they beat my people. I don't want nations to be able to brag about the fact that they beat God. He said, this is one of the only reasons I allow the nation Israel to still exist. Now, how's that for a national anthem? You know, you can sing these songs we're going to sing here in just a second at Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride. You can sing that song and really have an emotional moment where you're singing that song and live your life like a fool. That's what Israel did. This is the 4th of July weekend. Thousands. Thousands of people 
will stand in a stadium and listen to the national anthem today. And in the seventh inning, they'll hear, God bless America. God bless America. These people didn't go to church today. Went to a baseball game. They don't study their Bibles. They study box scores. God says, don't do that. You ascribe greatness to me by the way you think and by the way you live. And if you're here today and you've not received Jesus Christ as Savior, you need to understand this. His wrath is aimed straight at you, straight at you. Believe on him and be saved. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, settle it now. Settle it now. Don't turn away from the Lord today. Just invite Jesus Christ to come into your life and take it over right now. The scripture teaches whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Our Father, if this tragedy that we're seeing in this song is possible for a nation like Israel, it certainly is possible for individuals like us. So I pray we'd learn the lessons that to this point Israel has not learned. I pray we would be people who would be very, very serious about ascribing greatness to you by the way we think and by the way we live. I pray that we would also be people who would be real, real serious about understanding your precious word, Lord. And I pray it would fall on our souls like refreshing rain. As we prepare for communion, Lord, and think about all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, how can we do less than really give him our best? I pray we would in Jesus' name, amen.